Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 186. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again, and glad to be back with another entrepreneur. That's right. On this week's show, I've got Jay Mays. Jay Mays is a sales consultant, and he's also the founder of Pitch Lab. And Pitch Lab is a really cool concept. It basically takes the skills of comedians and applies them to people in their jobs. So how do you express vulnerability? How do you use your body? How do you use timing, your position on the stage? How do you relate to your audience using all of these different tools at your disposal that comedians are experts at? And he would know because he is previously a stand-up comic. So on this week's show, we not only talk about entrepreneurship, and I say at the end of this episode that this was very therapeutic for me. And it was, because we don't spend a lot of time connecting with each other. And I say that all the time as it relates to this show. It's my favorite aspect of doing this. I get to sit down with interesting people and have a very focused, directed conversation for an hour. And I do it like every week. And it's so rewarding in that way. But we also talk about his evolution through comedy. Why did he get into it? What was his persona, and why did he ultimately give it up? And I think back to previous iterations of myself. We're all sort of a continual work in progress here. And I think about the Johnny X version, you know, the KCSU Bipolar Show version. And I think about the E Dagger version, the one who wrote for Crew Jones Society. And I think about writing X-Axis and who I am now as a dad, and the evolution I've gone through through four and a half years of this show. Jay is really good in talking about who he was, who he is now, and almost not atoning, but answering for previous misdeeds as he sees them. He says, by his own admission, I said some pretty terrible things on stage. They were misogynistic, and I don't feel good about them now. But are we allowed to evolve as a person? And my answer is yes. The first step to that, though, is always understanding who we were. You can't understand who you are until you account and sort of take inventory of who you were. And on that level, this show is just intensely rewarding and really, really fun to listen to. Putting it together, I was thrilled that I got to meet Jay Mays here. Big shout out to JD Lopez, host of Left Hand Right Brain. You heard his ad before the beginning of this show. It's another great show on the Denver Podcast Network. We've both been guests on JD's show. And JD just set this up. He said, hey, man, I know this guy, Jay. You guys have a very similar sort of energy. I think you'd benefit from knowing each other. You should get hooked up. And anytime anyone's willing to do that for you, it's a gift. 
I mean, what a serious gift. Thank you, JD. Appreciate it. This was a fantastic show. A couple of quick plugs. First of all, I'm on iTunes. I'm on Stitcher. I'm now on Google Play. So if that's where you consume your podcasts, check out John of All Trades there. So we've got iTunes. We've got Stitcher. We've got Google Play. Give us some ratings. Give us some reviews. Hit that subscribe button. They will come directly to you. You don't even have to do the work. So brand new platform for you to consume John of All Trades. Secondly, check out the Denver Podcast Network online. We've got a lot of great shows in our network, and you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not listening to them. Paul Caroli just wrapped up season three of Changing Denver about Rocky Flats, and God, what a fascinating series. The Real Nerds, I cannot believe what machines they are. Putting out a brand new show every single week for like six years, that's insane. Those guys are funny. Those guys uh, have great insight into movies. Really fun show to listen to. So check out the Denver Podcast Network. It's denverpodcast.net. So singular, denverpodcast.net. Now then, let's get to episode 186 of the John of All Trades podcast. I've got Jay Mays, the founder of Pitch Lab, a sales consultant, a former stand-up comic, and his episode starts right now. I'm uh, Golden, Denver West, so up by the Colorado Mills Mall. Okay. Yeah, kind of by Green Mountain. That's where. That's near where I grew up. Yeah. I grew up at 16th and Youngfield. I love it. So okay. you're over by the Mills, What like in what direction? Keep, so keep going west from uh-huh. where you were at. Okay. Go up Indiana. Yeah, no, I, I had friends who were there, and we used to drink all the time. And uh, we'd like, we'd drink at his house and then we'd, this is probably not a best practice, but we would drive down to the movie theater before, you know, it really kicked in and we'd go see movies that way because we were underage. But my parents used to own, I I don't know what's there now. I think it's like a sports bar, but at 20th and Youngfield was uh, an Italian restaurant called Andalini's and we owned that. So I, I mean, that's my old hood. Nice. It's, it's cool. Uh, how was it getting down here? How was traffic? Brutal. I came from Lone Tree, though. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. There's no easy way from Lone Tree. No. Oh, God. And real quick, what about Dinosaur Ridge? I heard Dinosaur Ridge was the place to underage drink. That's what the locals <laughs> tell me. I never did that. But, I mean, again, you got to get in the car. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right? That's, that's That's not good. That's actually. So <laughs> when I saw what you talked about, uh, 2662, what's the name of the brewery I just went to? Uh, Station 26. 26. Yeah. And you were like, it's in my hood. And I was like, I wonder if he walks there. And then I did the ride with no sidewalks. I was like, he's either Ubering or driving home. That's <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, th- there's a new one that I can walk to, though. It's um, it's Long Table Brewing. Okay. So that's a 28th in Fairfax. Know. The cool thing about Park Hill is it's alphabetical, right? So it's A-A-B-B-C-C. Um, so we were at B. That was at F. And you just go down there. You put the kids in the back of the Burley trailer. And you just ride your bike down there. Nice. Or in my case, Fruit Boot. So well, tell me, uh, rollerblading. Okay. Got it. So, uh, that's what all my skateboard boot, friends used to call boot, boot. it. Yeah. It was back in a less politically correct time when, uh, you could make fun of someone for being gay or appearing gay. I was wearing, uh, the boots and it was fruity, right? I love it. So there you go. What were you doing down in Lone Tree? Uh, pitch lab. Okay. So you pitch had a lab. pitch lab today Two as day. we record this. Just came. Yeah. All right. So this is Jay Mays, the brains behind pitch lab. Tell me about pitch lab. How did it go this morning? Fantastic. Uh, it was a local, uh, meetup group, uh, called Copros, Colorado professionals. This was their lunch and learn. Uh, and I donated an hour, an hour to the community <laughs> of, uh, how to be a more confident and engaging speaker using stand up comedy. Wow. And how was it received? Oh, well, I, like I was saying before, every 
10th or 12th show, I get hit with a massive amount of nerves and, yeah. and it's hard to predict, right? So you think <laughs> I got this one under control, but right. there's just one thing that'll trigger it. And then I have to be the pitch lab guy talking about stage fright while battling <laughs> stage fright. It's very it's, meta. It's, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. I think I had too much caffeine this morning. Maybe that was it. But uh, I'm not a caffeine guy, Steve. No? Uh, ca- I know what caffeine does to me. So you, you crescendo automatically when you get the energy? How no, do you... I, don't, I don't do caffeine because I know what it does to me. Okay. And it's never good. So how do you get, how do you get the energy that, that you get? Like you're talking with Keenan, you and I are having coffee and by the end I'm, I'm white knuckling the table. Does that just come naturally once you're engaged? Uh, stay hydrated. Got it. Um, seriously, like okay. it's, I, I, okay. So I, I talk to people uh, who work in the pot industry, right? And they explain the basic difference. There's n- subtleties and nuance to this, but between indica and sativa, right? Okay. If you do sativa, do you want to go up, right? right. Do you want to do you want a mood elevator? Do you need uh, do you need some excitement? Do you need creativity? Do you need something to spark that? And if I'm buying, I go. That's like the opposite of what I want. Like I don't have any trouble with that. I'm sort of naturally very up. What I have trouble with is shutting it down. Got it. I can't come down very easily. So, and, and I fear my three-year-old daughter is the same way now where she lays down and her brain turns on. Yep. So that's me. So that's Indica, the body high, the couch lock, the sort of how do you shut your brain up? How do you, how do you get past everything that you're going through in the day? And you know, this as an entrepreneur, yep. you almost naturally have to be up. So if I'm getting like rocket fuel, I'm going to go past my point of productivity into almost mania. So I, caffeine is not good for me. I don't drink it generally. How old were you when you figured that out though? Cause that comes with age to know your body that well and <laughs> yeah. figure out I'm not sleeping because I had a double espresso at 4 PM. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This was probably recent. This was probably when I started being an entrepreneur. Whereas when you're working in a corporate environment, you can get a little dead eyed zombie about yeah. it, you know? And one of the things that I learned was if I had a project and I only had a couple of projects, I would stretch them out for as long as they needed to go. Whereas now it's like, if I have what, who is that? Gail Sayers, Walter Payton, 18 inches of daylight. If I have 18 inches of daylight, I'm getting shit done. Right. And so I think I learned when I had some caffeine, the only stimulant I ever liked in my entire life was cigarettes. And like that, that was it. Everything else just made me feel like shit. But are you big caffeine guy? I, so I've learned my body. Yeah. I'll hit a certain amount in the morning, nothing okay. past lunch. Nothing, okay. No matter what I have in the afternoon, even if I have a pitch lab from six to eight, uh-huh. my caffeine stops at lunch. Okay. I have to. Like not even a soda, not even nothing. like iced tea? Nothing. Because I, the amount in iced tea I can handle. Okay. Like iced tea is fine. Nope. Um, and I quit drinking soda earlier this year. Yep. So Good for you. Yeah. It's <laughs> Tell me about meditation. Uh, nope. Uh, don't do it. Ever. Have you heard of a float tank isolation tank? Yeah. It freaks me out because I hear like, if you've heard Joe Rogan talk about it, that's why I tried it. Oh really? What was it like? So I've done it. I've been doing it for three or four years now. Joe Rogan's, he's got a famous four or five minute YouTube clip. Uh, I was like, I have to try it. The first time I freaked out, like freaked out. Yeah. So you got to give yourself two or three times. Second time, my brain went to a real dark place and now I do it monthly. Wow. So uh, new spirit in Highlands. Uh, and I, I look forward to it, but so I don't meditate. You have no choice, Mm. right? It it takes your eyes are open or shut. It's the same amount of darkness. Your ears are underwater. You can't feel like it takes away all your senses. There's nothing. It's a sensory deprivation chamber. Exactly. 
it could be good or it could be bad. Let's okay. just leave it like that. It depends on what's on your mind, but it's that act of it's making you do it. Oh, interesting. So instead of I'm going to sit here and, and get Zen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, wow, dude, that's, uh, that's wild. Uh, yeah, I heard it's like an acid trip, uh, in some ways. And I've never, I've never done that. Uh, I've only gone in sober as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay. So you, you gave us the, the sort of pitch, forgive me for no pun intended here for pitch lab. Can you give us a little bit of chapter and verse about why the skills that are applied in stand-up comedy could work in other contexts? Absolutely. So the first thing that folks get disappointed when they come to pitch lab is they think they're going to learn how to be funny. Oh, right. And that's a cardinal sin to to tell people (laughs) I'm going to teach you how to be funny. Um, do you remember back in the day when Louie Anderson and Kyle Cease did a stand-up comedy boot camp? No. Okay. This was huge news 10 years ago and they were trying to teach comedians how to be funny. Okay. The backlash and the spank that they got was out of control. Anyway, So the number one thing is comedians are going to tell you you can't be taught to be funny. But that being said, there are certain techniques that can translate from, okay, I'm a comedian on stage. These are some of the things I'm doing with my stage presence, with my voice, with my dramatic pause, how I fight and combat stage fright, um, where I'm standing on the stage, Mm. um, how I'm using authenticity and vulnerability. All these things can transcend whether I'm on stage telling jokes or I'm talking in front of my team of five or I'm giving a pitch or I'm doing some type of Ted talk. So basically that's what happened. I went in and I said, Hey, what, what's the nonverbal communication? What's the, you know, the things that can really translate, use an example of a comedian. Boom. Here's your hack. Here's how you can use this. Okay. Without giving up too much of the ghost. Sure. Give me an example of a comedian Mm -hmm. Uh, and a skill that you use from one of their sets, because I love comedy. I'm watching comedy all the time. It's, and before we get there, who are some of your favorites? Well, I mean, did we we just, we kind of just touched on how, how comedy has the ability to age, right? Comedy has a shelf life. So you talked about the rollerblades, which I think is super interesting. So I came up and this was a true bonding thing with my old man. He, he had, he was using the cassettes and I was way too young to be listening to this, but he would let me listen to Kennison, Diceman, yeah. Pryor, Eddie Murphy on cassettes in the car when my mom wasn't there, right? My little brother listened. Yeah. And so I'm watching my dad laugh at this. Oh, yeah. That is the roots of comedy. That's so funny. Well, it, what's funny is I have a very similar experience with my old man. Tell me. He was showing me stuff. We were watching W.C. Fields when I was a kid. Yep. So like real, real old stuff. And we're listening to the Bickersons, you know, so like old 40s and 50s radio, Bob and Ray. Uh, there was this guy out of Cincinnati called Gary Burbank who was like a radio DJ and he had these comedy tapes. And some of it was pretty blue and some of it was pretty weird. Um, and then, you know, there was there was Carlin. There was Eddie Murphy. I was watching, uh, you know, A&E and Evening at the Improv like – Every night it was on. And then I got turned on to this show, Full Frontal Comedy, on Showtime, which was like stand-up comedy with like interstitials with tits in them and stuff. <laughs> uh, so it was a weird show. It was on Showtime. It was hosted by Dom Herrera. And the first guy I really fell in love with there was Bobby Slayton. And Bobby Slayton, at the time, was like his voice was so weird and he was such a machine gun. And I'm like, God, that is so funny. I go back and watch Bobby Slayton now. I'm like, this is awful. Like this is, this is hacky sort of like misogynistic crap. And so I I relate to your point so much because 
I wanted to be funny too because my old man was so funny. And like he had an appreciation for comedy and he could explain comedy too, which I loved. So That's awesome. what about the first jerky boys album, <laughs> the jerky boys? Um, yeah. So the uncle Freddie bit, <clears throat> my dad would be in near tears listening to that yep. one. Um, that one killed me. The one I had on MP3 in college was, um, your daughter came down and she kicked my dog. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I am with you on the jerky boys. That has also not aged all that well. My dad, so my dad was never funny himself, but he had a great sense of humor. He knew what was funny. So the drive for me was hearing my dad laugh. Okay. (laughs) Uh, The other, one more thing before we we jump in, I'm rewatching The Office on Netflix, Uh starting with season one. Oh my. Even the content on season one and two of The Office, which was only what? I mean, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, Yeah. Even that has aged to the point where that would no longer make it on TV. Yeah. Well, yeah, the sensibility is different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the culture just changes in that way. Um, I was watching Bill and Ted recently and they go to hug each other and then they push each other away and they go fag. Yep. And I'm like, yikes. Yep. Like I almost jumped out of my skin because I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. yes uh, so yeah, it's wild, man. But, uh, so you grew up with Kinnison. I mean, super at uh, dice. My mom loved dice yep. and you know why my mom loved dice? She said it reminded her of the guys she went to high school with. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is too weird. Like watching my mom laugh at some of the worst, most yeah. offensive shit you could ever hear. And she's dying at it. She's like, no, this is, these are the guys I grew up with. My mom was a second grade teacher. That's awesome. So anyway, so you grew up in that. And then Dane Cook was my first oh, like, yeah. love, love. And I know that's, that's not cool. That's though. probably Dane not in Cook. vogue anymore. No, no, it's not. But back, I'm talking mid nineties. I saw him. I was in college and saw him at a college show, and that mm-hmm. was one of the hardest I had ever laughed in my life. And it's, you, know, you talk about the body language. You look at Dane Cook's jokes on paper; they're not that funny. You <laughs> right. watch Dane Cook; uh, it was, it was Dude, the funniest his, thing I'd ever seen. His Comedy Central half hour, where he's like pouring water on himself and he's pretending yep. to be the the alien from yep. Aliens. Dude, I I mean, if you were there, if and you were the right age in the early two thousands, yep. late nineties, Dane Cook was a force of nature. He was. It was outrageous. Yep. Absolutely. So is that, I know you used to be a comedian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when did you get into it? Right around 05. So I did seven years around 05. I came up, uh, Ben Kronberg was a little bit ahead of me, Ben Roy, uh, Adam Caton Holland, oh, yeah. and uh, the other Grolix guys. They were just a little bit <laughs> You're ahead You're only of missing me. Andrew. Yep, yep. Uh, Orvidal and I were in the same, we did a... Uh, comedy works did a, a team comedy thing and I was on their team one year. It was a real exciting thing. Um, who else? Chris Charpentier, who's gone on to LA. Oh, I actually yeah. beat him. I started doing comedy before him. He's gone on to do amazing <laughs> things, but that was, that was my time period. But the unfortunate thing about me as a comedian, number one, I was never, um, as authentic as I wanted to be. Mm. Um, I was always looking backwards Again, back to these misogynistic guys. Oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Single guy. Oh, this stuff is funny. Sure, I'd go on stage. I'd get laughs. But then after seven years, I met my wife. We got married. I had a daughter. <laughs> and I, I, not, I, I couldn't say it on stage anymore. Yeah. It, that stuff is no longer funny. So it was a, a, a real pivotal point. Do I write authentic material and evolve as a comic or right. do I prioritize other things and that was my fork so seven years it was great uh i've still i've been producing also producing comedy where you know you just get up in the beginning say a couple words and let the (laughs) let the funny guys get on the stage producing for over a decade so i have a love and a passion for it but i never felt like 
I'm a comics comic. This mm. is this. I've always felt like I'm not as good as I want to be. I'm were not you, as good as I can be? Do you feel like you were enacting a persona? Of course. And it, so, course. and and almost an inauthentic persona because Absolutely. I think about that too in the context of my own life, where when I was a punk rock radio DJ in college, uh, I was Johnny X. Johnny X. Yeah. <laughs> and that was me with the volume turned all the way up. And so to that end, it was authentic. And then sometimes it would be tough to dial back down when I'd come off the air and stuff. <laughs> and I'd just be such a douche. <laughs> and I think about that persona because occasionally it will like rise to the surface again. But if you're sort of calling it into being from an inauthentic place, then you know it's basically just going to boil itself in acid at some point. It sounds like that's what happened to you. Absolutely. And I'm, so if you notice, if you, which you Google, there's nothing, there's no clips of me. Oh, really? I am horribly embarrassed. Even some of the jokes, even if I went to an open mic now, I wouldn't dare say some of my jokes. Mm. I mean, it was just that, that bad. And again, it's okay. I guess the thing I look at in in today's society is to bring it to a more relevant piece. Mm. Is there a statue of limitations? So, um, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy director. Oh, James Gunn. Yeah. Is he allowed to evolve as a human being, look mm. back at tweets from a decade ago and be like, that was stupid. I was doing it for attention. I was trying to get a cheap laugh and I'm sorry. Again, I don't want to defend or uh, all my point though is what are the statute of limitations? I've said horribly misogynistic things on stage a long time ago to get laughs that I am now not proud of. Right. How, is it how, okay how, for me to evolve? Isn't it okay at 42 to look back and be like, in my 20s, I said some stupid stuff. At what point are you allowed to evolve as a human being, right. have a daughter, and say, man, that was dumb. I was part of the problem. I'm sorry. The whole society is catching up. I see it. I'm going to do better. Let's yeah. move. Let's look forward as opposed to, I can't believe what you did 20 years ago. And you were this forever. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. That, that's what... That's what really, um, in the back of my head. And again, not that anything really bad ever happened. These were just jokes. I wasn't Mm. this person off stage, but I was definitely going for that persona on stage, adding to the problem. I still think about it. Like, what was I saying? Well, I, I mean, we can't disassociate ourselves from our past. We all have things that we're going to account for. And it's one of the reasons I'm happy in high school and in college that there was no social media. I mean... If if you th- so if, if you think about the terrible opinions you had as an eighteen year old, as a twenty year old, as a twenty three year old, the fact that those don't exist anywhere, uh, the fact that I have film cameras of me and my friends like being just ridiculous uh, and you know with like our shirts up and pretending to fillet each other and stuff like that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes. we we all sort of took those. We we went through that weird phase where it's like like let's take the most offensive picture possible. Yep. And those exist somewhere. Like I have maybe some of them in an album, but most of them, they don't exist in the digital space. They don't exist everywhere forever. The fact that we are condemning ourselves to this, I think, is a major disservice to young people. Terrifies me. And so for me, when I was in high school and college, there was not the video capture yet. There was not the Mm. camera phones. No, me either. Yeah, I'm scot-free on that. Yeah. To have something like that happen in your teens and your early 20s and never Awful. be able to escape it, I'm terrified for my kids. Me I'm too. Terrified. I think there's going to be a correction here, though. There's got to be a market correction. Either everyone's going to live everything all the time, online, Truman Show style, okay. or 
there's going to be a backlash where people go, I'm having no di- digital footprint whatsoever. Yep. And either way, I think it's better than what we have now. This sort of, it's almost like society is half pregnant in that regard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, we are going to select and choose our persona. Again, it's a persona that you're enacting on Facebook or if you're a young person, I guess, Snapchat. But that is an incomplete picture of who you are. And until we are willing to either erase that persona or just live our lives fully, entirely online, then I think you're going to continue to see repercussions that are unfair for people. Because I think when you're a young person, you're allowed and probably expected to have terrible opinions and say stupid, like baseless, just maybe racist, maybe homophobic stuff. But you need to evolve from that. You need a place where you can almost sort of enact that and have someone go, you know what, that's the dumbest and most awful thing I've ever heard without having to be put before a court of public opinion. Yep. I heard the quote I heard that I love on the backlash is a decade from now, we'll look back on how we use mobile phones and uh, social media, how we look at smoking now. Oh, interesting. That's the quote I read. Like, okay, I cannot believe, (laughs) right? Like I cannot believe our faces were, I cannot with, with the kids, yeah. our kids being our age, you hope that that backlash happens sooner rather than later. But you really I think about do. It. I think about it. Um, we try and limit our kids on screens. Like if they watch TV or whatever, that's fine. Because like the TV you'll be on and, you know, it's Mickey or Doc or God, whatever. <laughs> and uh, But they're usually like playing and doing other stuff here. When you have your phone in front of you or an iPad, you're dialed into that thing. Like, you're not doing anything else. The TV's on in the background, fine. We live in a society where TV's on everywhere, in the grease monkey, in the restaurant, in wherever we go. So, fine. Treat it as background noise, but, you know, be present in your lives. A buddy of mine, um, he does digital parenting content about this. He says exactly agrees with you. TV is bad, but the handheld devices where... There's interaction. Oh, God. That's what's hitting the dopamine. That's what's creating the addiction is that that back and forth with the device, whereas TV isn't going to do that. And then uh, let's, talk about, let, let's talk about you and Daisy Duck in that epic <laughs> blog post. But I love how you opened it. <laughs> I love how you opened it like you're going to succeed where millions of parents have failed. It was such just like a... The way you opened that blog post was awesome. I think you, as a parent, you cannot read that and be like, John gets it. Everybody's in the same boat. I love this. You're talking about the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse characters ranked you article. Got it. it was awesome. Which it was awesome. Is, thank you. It's still to this day, like, I, and I think I told you this, like the third most viewed thing <laughs> on my website because I Googled it. No one has written an article like that. And I mean, that's that's a fun sort of listicle thing. And, you know, I compare professor Von Drake to a Nazi and awesome. uh, so, and Willie, the giant to Oakland Raiders owner, Mark Davis, <laughs> they have the exact same haircut, but to your point, I mean, yeah, it's parenting is hard. So cut yourself a break, but to a point, you know, like there is a line that you need to, that you need to draw. So I want you to expand on something when you sort of got out of comedy you know, you, you saw this persona that you were trying to enact and you didn't feel like adapting your stage persona. And, you know, it's like Yogi Berra says, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So <laughs> you came to the fork, you took this fork. Do you ever regret not trying to find a different persona and get on stage that way? No, 
And for all intents and purposes, that is my pitch lab persona. Oh, okay. Pitch lab is the most authentic that I have ever been in front of a group of people. Gotcha. Because I can talk about being a salesperson. I could talk and reflect on my failures as a stand-up comedian. I can touch all these things. Yes, I'm not in comedy works. Right. I'm not a headliner with my name in lights. I'm in a co-working space. I'm in somebody's office building. Right. But that's as authentic as I can be. The other piece that started to bother me as a comedian is when you look at some of the more political comedians that are up there with some type of purpose. So Chris Rock, to an extent, um, Bill Hicks was a great one. Oh, Bill yeah. Hicks is up there trying to make a political statement. You look at them and say, well, you're getting on stage with real purpose. That's really cool. Whereas if you're getting up there telling dick and poop jokes, yes, there's a back and forth. I know how to make people laugh. I can do it. Right. But then I, how many times do you tell those jokes or even write those jokes right. to know that this is a filler in your life? I'm getting laughs, but there's no real purpose. Mm. When I get on stage now with Pitch Lab, it's like, I want you to have one tip, one technique. I want you to take away one thing that gets you excited to go try this. Now I have a little bit more of a purpose in getting up and it's made all the difference uh, for me. Again, I'm not I'm not saying this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, but right. this is what I've transcended into is to be yeah. able to talk about this. Were you, so you mentioned you've done sales consulting, uh, when you were, you know, pursuing your comedic dreams, were you doing a day job? Yep. Okay. Was it sales consulting? Uh, it was actual sales. I'm okay. a 20 year sales guy. I've only okay. been consulting for a handful of years. Okay. So like what kind of sales? Uh, if you name it digital. So I, I was big in, uh, I used to sell dial up accounts. Um, I sold clear channel radio, wow. uh, ringtones. I did ringtones for seven years. Ringtones. We could, we could wow. About, remember when ringtones were huge? Before yeah. The iPhone? It was a hundred million dollar company sitting between the record Jeez. labels. Yeah. So we did ringtones. If you watched MTV too, there'd be an ad for Jamster. Yes. Was it yeah. Jamster? Yeah. No, no. Uh, okay. But, but we were a competitor. We okay. had that as well. That was the <laughs> biggest ripoff because people would think they were buying a single ringtone, yeah. but you were really opting into a nine ninety month, nine ninety nine oh. a month subscription. So that was the biggest, uh, it's yeah. It's like a, it's like a, like a pyramid scheme yes, almost. on TV. And then everybody started cracking down and that's when right. the whole ringtone. It reminds me of in college, uh, the first girls gone wild video came out <laughs> and someone in my dorm bought it. And so like threw it on and everyone, guys and girls were watching because the ads were on all the time. Right. Here's the thing. He wasn't just buying one tape. Same deal. Like he ended up getting tapes shipped to him and it was like 20 bucks a month. That's it. And so it's like, you know, you, you sign up for this. You don't realize that you're actually signing up for a subscription. That sucks. Yep. I mean, that's shady. Then pivoted to professional services. Mm -hmm. And then I think we've talked a little bit about similar journey here of I'm not going back. Right. Just not going back. I, so you were doing corporate gigs. Absolutely. Okay. And what finally made you decide to hit the ejection handle? So, and, and actually, I thought of this, articulated this after we had coffee. Here's my best way to describe it. Growing up and in college, you're living with roommates, right? Other guys, other girls. Right. Okay. Do you remember specifically the time where you said, I can no longer live with another human being? <laughs> Even if I'm going to be strapped for cash, I have to live on my own? Yeah. Do you remember that moment? I do. It was the same type of like... I am at this point in my life, in this point in my career, I physically cannot <laughs> come and conform and, and work for someone. Oh, I mean, that, that 
not to say I can't learn from other people that sure. I haven't worked for great CEOs, but that is that moment of boom. And the other pieces, it sounds uh, maybe corny or generic, but hitting 40 hit mm. me a lot differently than I thought. I thought it wasn't going to bother me, but 40 was really a reflection Here's your here's your runway mm-hmm. that's unlimited in your twenties and even yeah. and all of a sudden I'm like okay oh crow's feet <laughs> some gray hairs right. some things hurt I hurt all the time yeah I'm not even forty yet yeah that hit me as well like okay if we're gonna sit here and read these Seth Godin books <laughs> you know hey that was inspiring I'm gonna go, like we're gonna we're gonna physically we're gonna go do something yeah okay. That, I mean, that's a great motivator when, when you see the, when you see the hourglass, I mean the top part, when you're at the top part, you go, man, look at this. I can't even see the bottom. And then all of a sudden bottom starts becoming visible. You start getting a little bit lower. Yeah. That'll get you off your ass. That's why I started this podcast for the love of God. I mean, I was dragging my feet on it for probably a year and I'm like, okay, I have this idea. I, you know, and I started just thinking about it very slowly then my wife got pregnant and I go, uh-oh, if I don't do this podcast now, I'm never going to do it. Like literally, if I don't know what I'm doing by the time this baby is born nine months from now, I'm never going to do this in my life. And I want to do it and I have to try. So from that point on, we found that out in February. I had launched my first show within five weeks. It's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. I just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write the copy for the website. I'm going to start reaching out to guests. They're like... Oh, you're doing a show. Can I hear it? I go, well, not yet. I don't have any yet. So it's kind of a leap of faith and you just start doing it, man. Like, do people ask you, cause I get this a lot. Do people ask you, how do I start my own business? Mm-hmm. The biggest advice I was given is you just got to start. Mm-hmm. Like literally you can't do it until you're doing it. Yep. I want to jump into that, but I want to tell you. So my wife was born in Brazil. There's a saying in Portuguese that she told me that is going to apply to what you just said. Mm-hmm. The baby brings the money. <laughs> the baby brings the money, meaning something happens. I don't know if it's that purpose, if it, whatever that is, but nothing motivates like that. I is what I've took from that. Yeah. That saying, um, no, yeah. that's accurate. That's really good. I've so, never heard that before. The, well, it, it, it sounds different in Portuguese. <laughs> I, I, um, so here's, here, here's the thing. Yes. I see people all the time I got to get, I got to get a perfect website with all the content. Mm-hmm. I got to get my logo. I got to get my business cards. I need to get my pencil sharpened. I need to get everything. So, you know, no, I started consulting on my own. I had my first client a lot like you mm-hmm. as I was leaving my, my yep. full-time job. I still don't have a website for my consulting. I don't <laughs> have business cards because the truth of the matter is you're sitting across from somebody. They're, they're buying yeah. that relationship. They're buying you. Referrals are the, you know, the platinum standard. Oh yeah. If you want to start, you're going to find a way. What's, what's the word when you, you take that step, providence happens, right? Right. Um, that's, I, I guess that's a hard thing to articulate to someone, but I see it all the time. All these people have all these things that are going to happen before I go out. Now, the difference between you and I though, is in our hearts, we're salespeople. So it's easier for us to go out and sell and then figure out to execute. I would imagine being empathetic to other entrepreneurs that aren't a salesperson by trade. If you're some type of technician, you're a really smart person, you're 
then right. yes, it's a lot harder to say, okay, I got to get selling. So for me, it's almost, I don't want to stop selling. I get annoyed when I have to execute, right? I mean, oh, geez, I got I to gotta deliver work here. I want to keep selling this. You like, you like the hunt more. Yeah, of course. Um, but that's that's, that's sales. Yeah, um, see, I, I like the hunt pretty well. I, no, I put it to you this way. So there's an old cliche. I don't like writing. I like having written. Um, I don't like hunting. I like having successfully caught something. So the hunt is not what thrills me. Anytime I book a new client though, like there's satisfaction in that. I like, I really like delivering work product. Like if I could just do the work and like get that done, which is why I'm so happy I surpassed the three year mark in my business. It's because the hunting is less and the inbounds start coming in a little bit more. And you don't, (laughs) I say this on this show all the time, leap and the net will appear. And that is too scary for some people. And that's fine. I mean, that's less crowded space for us. But if someone is thinking about it, I will encourage them to the end to do it. And people have told me the first season of my show was just me teaching myself how to be an entrepreneur. I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time. But those people were just more easy to interview than going through layers of corporate bureaucracy to talk to them. Um, So it's so funny the way your brain works without you knowing how it's working. It's fascinating to me. So to that end, I'm interested in what your ultimate sort of vision for Pitch Lab is. Do you have a vision? Like, do you, do you have a roadmap for it? I love it that you asked me that. <clears throat> I just read a quote from Gary V. Oh, it Gary said, Vaynerchuk? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not lost. I don't have it figured out yet. So when I started Pitch Lab, uh, have you heard of the – it's a term that they're – I'm doing air quotes there talking about it's combination sex hmm. is what they call it. Idea sex where you're at the intersection of two things. So radio business, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. comedy sales. Um, I knew that if I'm moving into a space of sales consulting, I'm not going to really quickly at the very least be able to compete with an Anthony in Areno, the Keenan's. So what do I have that's different? Yeah. Right. What, yeah. What's your killer sort of, that's it. Yeah. What makes me special? What makes me stand out? So that was the impetus of pitch lab. Like, let me just get out there. Let's mm-hmm. just start doing something to, and again, I'm not necessarily saying create a top of the funnel, but it's funny you asked me that. So one week I'll be, I'm all in on pitch lab. I'm not going to sales consulting. I'm all, I'm all, we're going to figure out a way to scale pitch lab. The next week I'm like, well, I like pitch lab, but, um, you know, sales consulting is really fulfilling and maybe I'll just keep doing pitch lab cause it's fun. And then the <laughs> next week it's like, I'm all in. And so uh, to answer your question straight up, I don't know, but I know when I'm doing pitch lab, I love it. I know when I'm with my clients and I'm making an impact and I'm providing value. I love it. How do these come together? I've made some inroads, but to answer your question as bluntly as possible, I don't have it figured out yet. That was actually one of my goals that I set in January is figure out how this comes together. Will it be done by the end of the year? I don't know. Have I come closer? Sure. Yeah. But it's funny to say, I mean, I could ask you the same thing, right? Totally. You do all the great things in your space. You do this podcast. Hey, go all in. Go yeah, all in. I know. I, what, I mean, <laughs> it's so similar. I, and again, you asked me it a different day. I just came off a great pitch lab. I'm loving pitch lab. <laughs> you know? Dude, it, uh, I go through that all the time. It's, it's like mini existential crises yep. every single day. Because there are times where I'm in love with this show and I'm like, God, I did such a good show. And like, I feel like I have something unique to say and I'm able to draw things out of guests that other people can't. So maybe I should just apply it in that direction. But 
then I'm like, but the podcast doesn't make any money. And I also have this consulting gig, which actually does make me money and does really, really well. Um, and so I'm crushing it there. And then I have this nonprofit thing, Mile High 100. Should I focus more attention on that? Do I have the bandwidth for all of these things? Of course not. Here's the thing about the podcast. I'm not a hugely religious person, but I have faith. And if you continue to put your head down and do good work and look up for opportunities when they arise, if you're smart enough to capitalize on them, they will emerge in ways that you are not expecting. So as a, for instance, I'm getting ready to produce two new podcasts. Um, I'm getting paid for them. Awesome. You know what I mean? Yep. And so it's like, I'm not getting paid for this show, but the fact that I've done this show now for four and a half years, you have a long enough track record. I mean, you know this in sales. There's, there's something to be said for just outlasting everyone else. Yep. Because a lot of people are going to give up, fold up their tent and go home and try something else. If you can last and you can produce a, a consistently quality product, eventually you're going to look around and be like, I'm the only one here. Like if, if you want this done in this way, I'm about it, uh, which is wild. Um, and so I just sort of put my head down and had faith with this show because I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've thought about shutting it down. I, I don't know how many times I'm like, God, is this worth the work? Like I can't, I can't sit here and edit this show anymore. But I mean, this will be episode 186, uh, technically like 190 or 191 or something like that. There are like four or five that are unnumbered. I should really figure that out. <laughs> but after that many, it's like, okay, I'm starting to see how this is paying off in different ways. And that's so weird. And one thing we talked about, because we got introduced by J.D. Lopez, who does Left Hand Right Brain. We're both former guests on that show, which I think we had different experiences. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sort of accustomed to hosting, and I'm, a co I'm accustomed to putting people kind of on the spot. And J.D. does that better than just about anyone. And <laughs> I don't know that you were fully prepared for that. So, um, yeah, we could talk about it, even though I was hoping that that digital footprint would just kind of disappear, but now we're going to create a trail from this podcast. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So, and the, you know, JD the, through comedy, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, he, so, uh, just pitch lab last year at Denver startup week, uh, we did a mock pitch contest. It was comedians versus entrepreneurs right. and we built these hilarious decks. So it was a pitch off with real judges and then it was energy drinks for zoo animals because <laughs> zoos are boring. JD got, uh, his topic was get rid of your driving glasses and get a prescription windshield. <laughs> right. Uh, we had another one that was uh, meat water industrial farming right. is killing America is killing the environment. So you can get, uh, you can get protein from animals through osmosis. So we gave him these funny decks. JD did a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, he, he leaned <laughs> into it. So what I did though, the mistake I made is, I assumed and I hung my relationship with JD. <gasps> I said, I don't need to, I don't need to go listen to a lot of left hand, right? But mm. I know JD. Yeah. And he caught me at the end with his consistent questions that I easily could have been prepared for. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't prepared. So now my rule is I do not care if I do not have time. I will find a way mm -hmm. anywhere I'm going. I want to be a little bit more prepared. Now that's coming from a guy that improv comedy, be ready for anything. You can't be prepared, yeah. but yes. That, and yeah. But it was stupid and I got caught and I, what I said, I regret very much <laughs> and it took me a couple of weeks to, to get through it. But anyway, why, what, what, okay. Cause I think we're all, the, the question is, are you an artist? And I think we're all artists, right? Yeah. Anybody that creates anything is an artist. Now I think there's a continuum oh, sure. of being an artist, but I think we are all artists. 
when that question came at me, I was thinking, are you an artist? Like, are you painting by a creek in Vail? Are you? And I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't have time for that. I'm out trying to produce things. And so I said, no. And then he kept, JD's got this great way of like, oh, I see this opportunity. And he can't, and I just wasn't ready. And then as I'm listening to myself talk into the microphone, I'm saying, we got, we got, and why? Yeah. What am I saying? Yeah. And I just, Anyway, so the number one thing is if you ever get the opportunity to be on someone's show, to be yeah. on someone's podcast, to do anything collaboratively, do a little bit of research. Yeah. Not a lot. Just do a little bit. And it's a lesson that, you know, luckily I didn't say anything too. Right. Like that's going to total my career. But right. But I make, still wish I that isn't out there. I still would have not liked to say. <laughs> makes you cringe a little bit. That's, that's fine. Tone um, deaf. But so JD was like, he said, you got to meet this guy, Jay. He sends me this email and he said, you guys have sort of a similar energy. I think you'd benefit from meeting each other. And I go, great. Anytime anyone wants to introduce me to someone, it it means a, that they're thinking of me, which is always flattering. The idea that someone out there is just thinking about you, you go, wow, cool. Like how neat. Well, what a, (laughs) what a time to be alive. And then secondly, if they think enough of you to connect you with someone who you think you might have benefits together, like, great. Here's the thing that we, that we talked about during that first coffee meeting. It was down at Union Station. There are people who view the world very transactionally. I had no idea what we were going to talk about. I mean, I looked, I looked you up a little bit. I looked into Pitch Lab. I go, oh, this seems like a cool gig. Um, I do some presentation training myself. I take sort of the opposite tack because I spent a lot of time in corporate where, you've got a lot of people who think they're real cut-ups and I, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I read that too. That was the most, do not try to be funny in this sales meeting. Cause you're not, bro. I mean, I just, and I went for the right. You are a really good writer. Like, I, <laughs> Thank you. I, I aspire to write the way you do, but yes. I, anyway, oh, you're I don't talking mean to about on the deaf blog. Yes. Oh, yeah. You wrote an awesome thing that I was like, I, I was right there with you. Yeah. I knew exactly what you were talking about. You could but picture yeah. who's making these. Yes, jokes. yes, yes. I but, mean, even me, you meet me. I'm not sitting here trying to get laughs all no, the time. Man. No, dude. <laughs> no. Like, there's nothing worse than those. Anyway. And they always look around all satisfied too. Yes. Like probably my least favorite joke on the planet is when you get done saying something very direct and very pointy and very sort of like that's kind of, you know, hitting people and someone will go, whoa, wow. Why don't you tell me how you really feel? Oh Love God, it. It. get fucked! Like <laughs> seriously, like just just <laughs> just fall down on a railroad spike with that joke. I hate that or, joke. Or how about when you laugh at your own joke? Where when they laugh at their own joke in your eyes, like okay, uh. <laughs> yeah. But and and whenever someone unleashes that zinger, they always have a real self satisfied sort of smug look about them. They're like, uh huh, that's right. That's, yeah. I thought of that. It's like yeah, well. That's, that's quality work. Um, but being just real quick, being in the comedy scene and being around people that have been tremendously funnier than me for a long time, right. I can hang, I could get on stage, but in the green room, when the comics are hanging out, I wasn't always the guy that you made a joke and I'm going to try to tag it and one up it. Yeah. A lot of times I was the guy that I'm just going to laugh at your joke. And I think a lot of it comes from the ability to sometimes not have to be the funniest guy in the room yeah. and just appreciate being around that. I think that's where, and truly I've been had the opportunity to be around people that are much, much just naturally funnier than me that oh. they don't even know they're funny. <laughs> I love people like that. Yeah. 
my friend Carson is probably the funniest person I've ever met. <laughs> He's never done like any, I mean, outside of like high school theater, you know, has never done any performing, right. but that dude can, can just look a certain way and I will, I will be on the floor dying. <laughs> but, uh, where was I going with this? Um, while you rethink of it, I want to tell you one thing that just popped back in my head. You said, sometimes I get tired of doing John of all trades. Yeah. But every time you do your, what is it called when you do the solo before you start the podcast? Oh, the intro? What, whatever. Yeah. Just you talking. Mm-hmm. I would never think that. Interesting. Ever. I wow. don't know what you're doing, how you're doing it, when you're doing it. Um, the other one you did, maybe it was before JD saying you were like, I'm just sitting here. I have to grind through this. I have, oh, yeah, cause you yeah. have the ability and I'm just, I'm giving you this as a compliment. Mm. Good for you for being able to just put on those pants and just go for it and still push through. Cause a lot of times the inspiration happens after you start after you, whatever you did yeah. do. And I feel it all the time, but I just wanted to tell you the, the, the amount that I have heard, mm. I've never felt that. Wow. I've never felt that. That's so. incredibly flattering and like really rewarding to hear because sometimes, as you know, man, you're grinding through. Yeah. The metaphor I use all the time is digging the ditch. Yep. Sometimes you got to dig the ditch, man. Your muscles hurt. The sun is shining down on you. You go, I cannot put my shovel in the ground one more time. Yep. You put it in the ground anyway. Of course. Right? Of course. Um, and that's what, that's what separates you, especially as an entrepreneur. That is a huge thing where if you can manufacture the ability to get up and be on and go do a pitch lab, like you have stage fright, you have too much caffeine pumping through your veins. You're going to power through it anyway. You know Absolutely. why? Because you're a goddamn professional. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you don't have that ability to sort of turn it on when you need to, like you're done. Yep. The difference between an amateur and a professional is consistency. Right. And you know who I think about all the time, I, for whatever reason, is the late night guys. Yeah. So let's take Conan O'Brien. I guarantee you he does not feel like going on that consistently every day, but he's able to go in and do it, get in that zone. And I'm sure it's like a muscle. It's just like writing. It's just like whatever else. But man, anytime I feel like pissing and moaning Mm -hmm. on something, I, yeah, (laughs) I'm going to go produce something every single day like that, no matter what happened, what happened at home, no matter what you're feeling. Um, that's, yeah. I learned that writing crew Jones society, like the first website I ever did that's no longer online, but we wrote every day and we, we hit a wall in like October. We launched it in March in like October. I go, I have no ideas left. I literally have said everything I'm ever going to say. Like I've written probably 5,000 words a week now for five months. So I'm out, I'm tapped out. You know what we did? We kept writing anyway. And you grind through it. That's what life is. If you have a passion, you're gonna ha- you're gonna hit that wall. When you're an entrepreneur, you're gonna hit the wall. It's brutal, man. Um, what do you do to get over the wall? Um, I mean, how do you get up? Because, yeah. I mean, you you brought it up to me, and I guess I never thought about it. And <laughs> it's kind of like starting the business. You don't do it till you're doing it. And so I just force myself to do it. I wish I could do that with flossing. <laughs> right? Because I'm not as good at that. Well, the first thing is I don't have anything to fall back on. I now mm. have family. I have bills. Yeah. So it's funny. You see, and I'm not, I have some friends that, oh, I can't go into that bank account or, you know, the tr- I think the needing to work to survive, to take care of people who depend on you, 
that's going to be a motivator. Um, that doesn't mean that's always the best motivator. Um, how do I do it? The, the short answer is I'm getting better and better at taking care of my energy and appreciating. Well, so, so there's two ways to look at it. The first way is don't wait for inspiration. Just start working and inspiration will come and just plow through. And then the other way to look at it is some days I'm going to be in the flow yeah. And some days I'm not. And on the days I'm not, can I be okay with that? Can yeah. I say, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to try to be present with my kids. I'm going to hit these couple things and I'm going to be okay with it. Cause I know if I get a good night's sleep, I wake up tomorrow, I get another shot and I get another chance at, at feeling productive and feeling that flow. And then the second thing is how do you not overextend where you feel like mm. I'm in a deficit and I can't, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm staying out too late. I'm doing too many podcasts. I'm doing too many pitch labs. I'm yeah. getting more and more conscious of no, 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 no. Do not, do not book those back to back. All right. Find a way to put a couple. So I don't know if I answered Dude, that, that is, well, but that is so real yeah. because so th we're recording this on a Thursday on Tuesday. I had a day where I could not get it on track. Right. Like I was, I was sitting there and I had a lot to do. Like I had these writing assignments. I was actually editing a show. That was like the one thing that I got done. And Believe it or not, I actually did an intro and outro. I didn't feel like doing anything that day. So I'm sitting in this house just like stewing about it because A, I'm not being productive. And then B, I'm feeling bad about not being productive. So it's like it's doubly awful. And at some point, I just had to lean into it and embrace it. And I go, you know what? This is going to be one of those days. And I guess I'd never thought about it in those terms. There are going to be days where you're not on, where you're not feeling it, where you're not in the flow state. You got to be okay with that. Correct. That is wild because I would beat myself up about it previously. And that only makes things worse. You go, mm -hmm. you know what? Today was today. was today. Tomorrow's a new day. We'll get after it tomorrow. Yep. And maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. And, I, and I'm just imagining here. We haven't talked about this, but okay. There's your, your podcast. There's your business. Mm -hmm. You're still a dad. You're a husband. You got to take care of yourself as well. If you look, start looking at, a wider spectrum. I do feel like doing one of those. Things. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It might not be <laughs> what I feel like I'm pushing myself to be doing, but if the spectrum's wider, I at least say, okay, I feel good about this is one thing I did today and tomorrow I'm going to make the rest up. You know, what's interesting too, is you have priorities that you want to set, but your body doesn't always agree with those priorities. So Perfect. if you don't set your priorities, like they will get set for you by some other force, whether that's nature, whether that's God, whether that's your own body, uh, the priorities will get reset. And that's so weird to think about because it's like, no, I really need to grind on this project. And your body's like, nope, we're not grinding on this project today. It ain't going to happen. You go, wow. Okay. Uh, I heard Dan Pink, you know, Dan Pink on a, a drive. He's anyway, edit this out where I said something really smart about Dan Pink author, <laughs> but he says that, the way our biological clocks work, whatever time you wake up, you're going to have certain points of the day mm -hmm. where this is better for concentration. This right. is better for just administrative. This is better for sitting in a meeting. And he says there's even a science. Mm -hmm. Maybe Dan Pink when maybe is the name of it. It's his latest book. But to think of it like that, when did I wake up? And then my energy is going to be different for different tasks throughout the day. I think that's super interesting as well. I'm not versed enough about it. But yeah. I'm going to get that book and <laughs> try to be nicer to myself. <laughs>
Yeah, if we can all be a little bit better to ourselves, I think that's good. Because if you've ever gone through like weight loss, and so in my life, at one point I lost 40 pounds, and then I gained 20 of it back when we had kids, and then I lost 30, so I was down to like where I was in high school. The problem is you, you're never nice enough to yourself, and you will never escape the fat ass of your mind's eye. It's wild. Like, I love that. No matter how skinny, no matter how thin you get, and this... I don't think it's unusual to have at least a little mild body dysmorphia, right? And so you look at yourself and you still focus on all your flaws, no matter what they are. And it's hard to remember all the good things. So if we could just be better to ourselves, I think that's a great message. I love it. And yes, that is a universal thing. Yeah. Everyone feels that. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, and what a terrifying thing because it feels like such a solitary existence too. You're like, I am suffering this alone. And yeah, in a unique way you are, but it's a universal too. It's like a great song in that way that feels both intensely personal and is thoroughly universal. Wild. Awesome. All right, Jay. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. So you want to plug Pitch Lab? Uh, anything else you're doing, if you're on Twitter, social media accounts, whatever you want to plug, do it now. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I'd love it if you come check out Pitch Lab's website, pitchlab.io, because the .com was too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I have the .us because some asshole had the .com. <laughs> Pitchlab.io. Um, so all kinds of free workshops coming up this fall, uh, full slate. We're doing a lot of great things, collaborating with other folks in the community. We're at Denver startup week. Um, check it out. Come see a free workshop and, uh, love to meet you. And then on Twitter, uh, at underscore pitch lab or at Jay's maze, J A Y S M A Y S. Very good, Jay. All right. Well, this was an enormous pleasure. I think this was a really fun and informative. Oddly enough, it was uh, it was like therapeutic uh, in some ways. It's always good to connect with another entrepreneur of the same energy. Uh, and I got a lot out of this. I hope you did too. Absolutely. Thanks right. a lot, John. Continued success to you, brother. Appreciate it. And that brings episode 186 of the John of All Trades podcast to a close with Jay Mays, founder of Pitch Lab, sales consultant, former stand-up comic. Jay, what a thrill. What a pleasure. I hope we get to connect a lot more in the future. You're doing great work. Keep it up. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. That's my little entrepreneur venture. And if you need me to produce a podcast for you, I can do it starting to do that, I can help your business tell its story in a brand new way. Check me out on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. If you're doing something online, if you have a campaign that you're running where you need to do advertising or build a website or connect through social media, 4Degrees has the solutions for you at a very reasonable cost. They do award-winning work, and I'm proud to feature them on every episode of the John of All Trades podcast. That's 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades is on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. New episodes drop on Wednesdays, but you can get the preview, you can get the jump on everyone else on Mondays. That's Facebook only, so make sure and like us on Facebook if you want to see the next episode that's coming before everyone else. I'm out of here for this week. I got plenty to do. We'll be back here with brand new content very, very soon. And until I hear you back here again, say goodnight, Gracie.
That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.